Uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, so like, this is the last weekend we get to celebrate together in 2018. And I, I know this, this bears a lot of good and bad for us, you know. It's been a heavy year for me, good and bad. I think a lot of us have encountered the same kind of stuff. But I like it. for those of you who don't know me, I think every, everybody in here knows me, right? Pete? Yeah, I, I make racket here, and I love to do so. Gage, what's up, man? Yeah, yeah. I am a noisemaker. That's like, like there's, the Psalms have descriptions of what praise looks like, and the shout is one of them, and I was, I was born with that. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm on the loudspeaker. Um, and we love it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, lo- I, love, like, I love being here. Like this, like, first off, I love this setting right here because we're all facing the same direction. You know, like we're all facing each other, and we're all pointed at Jesus. Like I like, I, I I've got nothing wrong. I I'm not opposed to like our traditional seating, but I'm just I'm passionate about us sharing in the same perspective, with no stage. Like as a church culture, we've like adopted this like uh, stage mentality. Like the person on the stage is the person that we should listen to. <laughs> Completely cutting Jesus out of that equation sometimes, you know. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so I, I, I wanted to talk about, like, uh, today's title, if, if we've got one, it's The Joy of Repentance. <laughs> that, that might sound kind of counterintuitive or oxymoronic, um, but repentance is a joy. It's a joy. Um, first off, I hate doing laundry. Yeah, that, yeah, thank you, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, does anybody love doing laundry, that's the question, like, uh, instead of, like, me declaring I hate doing laundry, it's like, who loves doing laundry, and then we'll check in somewhere today, you know, um, does anybody know how uh, ancient people used to do laundry, yeah, kind of, kind of, I mean, yeah, they did that, like, that was the motion, but do you know what they used for soap? Kind like uh, recycled water. Uh, so like, like laundry was they, they used to step on laundry in buckets of urine is what they did. That's how we washed our clothes as a people. Yeah, it's unnerving. Like the ammonia content in in, in stale urine cleans clothes. It gets oil out, it gets dirt out, stains, and then they would rinse it with water to get the smell out. So, like you know the you know the the fountain that you see of the kid that's peeing into something. There you go. Like a little nugget for you. Um, yeah, um, it's true. Like, that's like, so, like, right? That process, <laughs> I, I will not try it. Like, I, I, I said, first service, I was like, my children, I've got two little ones, and they do laundry all the time, you know? Like, uh, uh, yeah. Um, so, but the process, like, originally, I don't know if you're familiar with um, fulling or, or a fuller, who a fuller is, but a fuller is a person that does laundry by stepping in urine, they put the cloth in this bucket of urine and they, and they tread on it. And the first process is called scouring, and they stomp, 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 stomp. Like they use a club and they beat, beat it, so it's like this like really disgusting process of cleanliness. Like this, so that's scouring, the second step, and this is the end of the fullering process, is uh, thickening. And that, they simply just rub it together vigorously it's wool was most, mostly the content of most people's clothes, and they would, like, 
rub it together and it would cause it to adhere to itself and it would make it thicker. It would make it weatherproof. It made it last longer. It's better, you know. So this really disgusting process, we'll get to that. Keep in mind repentance in the back of your head here. Um, um, let me get some uh, goodness. So the joy of repentance is what I'm going to talk about today. See, how many of us, like, when we talk about repentance, how many of us immediately go to the sorrow portion? Or this, like, uh, like this broken, like, I'm not worthy thing? Yeah, me too. Like, repentance, the, the translation in the word in the New Testament, repentance, is motaneo. Um, it means to change your mind. Like, a lot of times we've, we've said, like, like, we'll hear it in church culture, it's like, Repentance is turning around, you know, like doing a 180. But this is a great descriptor right here. We're in a circle and say my sin is right here. And then to turn around, I turn this way. I might be facing another sin. I'm not necessarily facing God, you know. So like, like repentance is simply, it's changing our mind to where we focus on the one that called everything into existence. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Um, 2 Corinthians 7. Chapter 7, verse 10, it says this. The godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation with no regret. Verbatim. That's the word. Now, how many of us attach regret to repentance? Godly sorrow produces a repentance that leads to salvation with no regret. See, a lot of us in here, we're coming into the new year and we're getting ready to make this whole list of, of um, New Year's resolutions. Setting ourselves up for failure. Basically, we say, I hate who I am right now. So next year, I'm going to do these things to not be me. When we could repent. And receive mercy. <laughs> instead of heap guilt on our backs. I'm reminded, I just, I got to spit this out. I'm reminded of what the scriptures say, to the merciful, you show yourself merciful. We can't give mercy unless we've received it. How often does the church itself cut out the reception of mercy before we, like it, it negates, like we become very judgmental all of a sudden because we haven't received anything for ourselves. I'm not saying take a selfish approach. I'm saying connect to the Father. Godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret, but worldly sorrow leads to death, is what the rest of that passage says. How many of us know people that have passed away or are sickly or are in the process of, of dying from carrying this weight of guilt and shame? It leads to death. That's not of God. So why do we partake in these things that are not of God? When the answer is in this room right now, there's a love that is unconditional and mercy that is fresh right now. There's forgiveness that was before we could even take a step in any direction, we were forgiven. Like we get to see it play out in real time because it glorifies God. When we see the victory of God, we glorify him. But he sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. 
I can't think of a better, uh, like a person that exemplifies regret in the word. Obviously, I think a lot of us would go to David, so I'm going to go there. He was called a man after God's own heart, and yet he was guilty of sin that was punishable according to the law by death. I'm going to read Psalm 51, which is his declaration, his process of repentance. And we can take note of it because it's repeated. This, process, this, this format is repeated throughout Scripture, even in, into the end of Revelation. Psalm 51 is titled, A Prayer for Restoration. That word itself, restoration. There's not a soul in here that does not need to be restored at this very moment. I don't care who you are. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your faithful love. According to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. That word blot out, it's, it means to wipe away. We choose a different king. We rebel against the Father. I'm not saying that to weigh heavy on us. I'm saying I have rebelled hundreds of times today in my own head. And I should, I should state, he's asking these things because he knows his father and he knows that these are the things that he waits to give. He's not asking for something that's out of, that, that doesn't exist. He's saying, blot out my rebellion because you can. Wash away my guilt. We were talking about washing and what wash actually used to mean. It was, it was pee, right? And cleanse me from my sin. Take the mess that I've given you and clean me with it. Like we can look outside right now. It's, it's wintertime. All the leaves, all the dead things have fallen off these trees. Just like the pruner comes, cuts off what's dead and isn't his. Just like storms will come and blow those things down. And what those branches and leaves do is they nourish the righteous foundation of these trees. There's not a thing that is not restored by him. It's just got to be given to him. Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin. For I am conscious of my rebellion. How many of us know what this is born of? This is when David committed adultery with a woman. Her husband was loyal to the, king, to the king, a loyal warrior. And to cover up his sin, he had him sent away to be killed. Two sins punishable by death, murder, adultery during that time. Who would stand today if that was still the case, right? I would have been killed about 500 times over, I think. Um, I'm conscious of my rebellion. My sin is always before me. Against you, you alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight. So you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. How many of us have judgment in our hearts right now? And who in here is blameless? There's one that judges and is blameless. And his judgment is right. But his mercy triumphs over judgment is what his word says. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you would desire integrity in the inner self. And you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. 
I don't know if you know what hyssop is, but hyssop, it's, a, it's an herb, like a flower, and they used to, the, the priests used to dip, they would dip hyssop branches in water or oil. They would anoint people with it. They would sprinkle, you know, like that was, it was a ritual blessing. And they used hyssop to swing that stuff around. But I looked up what hyssop does, like, for uh, people that use uh, herbal medicine. And hyssop is used to treat gastrointestinal problems. It's used to treat liver disorders. It's used to treat uh, asthma, our breathing, like, ailments. It's used for all kinds of stuff. It's used to increase the appetite. So when I read this, purify me with hyssop, I read, give me a new filter. Give me an appetite for you. Give me the ability and the longing to ingest you and fully receive you. Give me new breath. When Jesus breathed on his disciples, like he set his Holy Spirit on them, right? And what the word spirit in the New Testament is, is pneuma, Greek for spirit. Pneuma means breath. Give me new breath. Give me a new brain. This is like Paul said, be, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. How often does church thought process be, uh, how often is it accused of, of, of herd-like mentality? When the world itself tells us what to think, how to act, what's valuable, what's worthy of our worship. And we come here and we bear all these things into this house. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. So, this is, so there's a turning point that happens right here. How often do we hang on to these, these dead things and we call them dead and we say that, oh, I'm dead because this dead stuff's a part of me. I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. There's a moment when David lets the dead things fall down and nourish his righteousness. Let me hear joy. And gladness, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. The word rejoice, find joy again. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out all my guilt. Wipe away all my guilt. Those of us carrying guilt in here, carrying shame, it's not of God and it's dead. We choose to hold on to it, but it's not ours to hold on to. And it does not nourish us. God, create a clean heart for me. This is my prayer over this room. Clean hearts. There's only one that can give those. And we strive and we try to to be clean, but we're actually just washing our clothes in urine. Sounds harsh, but I mean, like, we make do with what we got, and that's not good enough because the the only one that can really make us clean simply says so. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. He's saying these things because he knows that he won't. The word says that those that the Father has given Jesus will not escape his grasp. We can't do anything to earn grace and we can't do anything to earn failure. It's his call. We can live in pain. We can choose less. Restore the joy of your salvation to me. 
I asked this in the first service, how many of us need to be reminded of the joy we had when we were first called by name by the Father? Yes. Today. How often do I function from a state that's less than joyful? Nehemiah, who's a, 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 a book in the Bible, he was, he was a wall builder, and he came and restored the city of Jerusalem. He said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I'll mention this later, but Jesus said, I came that they might know my joy and that they would have joy to the fullest. And how often as Christians and uh, churchgoers, we function like we're, like under, we're bearing this load because we try to carry what's not ours. Restore the joy of your salvation to me and give me a willing spirit. What this says to me, why did he follow up the joy of my salvation with a willing spirit? Because our stubbornness impedes joy. My stubbornness impedes joy. Because I know better, right? Then I will teach the rebellious your ways and sinners will return to you. He doesn't say, I'm going to learn some stuff and then I'm going to help sinners return to you. He says, I will receive what you have given me. And that causes people to see what you've given me so that they might turn. I have no right to, to stand here and speak if I haven't spent this morning receiving mercy. I have no right. And as a church, how often do we wield this thing like it's our right? Judgment. On ourselves, on people outside of the church, it's not ours. It is, but mercy is also ours. Save me from the guilt of bloodshed, God, the God of my salvation. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. This thing happened to David and it caused people to see that it was happening to him and it started coming out of his mouth. We talk about what's in our heart. Jesus said, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I grumble and I grumble and I complain My heart is full of grumbling and complaint. But if I'm loving, it means I've received the only true source of love. Lord, open my lips. This is my declaration of, I I, I ask this for, for, for myself. I ask that he opens my lips, that I don't open them for me. Because when he opens them, my mouth will declare his praise. When I open them, what I think I know comes out. You do not want a sacrifice or I would give it. You're not pleased with the burnt offering. What he's saying is, I know that I cannot be atoned for my sin. Paul said, the wages of sin is death. He's saying, I know that you are a merciful God, and I know that I can't earn my way back. It says the sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. He's not saying a depressed person or a person that's wearing guilt and shame. He's saying someone that needs to be put back together and that they realize that the only thing that can put them back together is Jesus Christ. That's a broken spirit, and there's no, there's no shame in being broken. There's no shame. Man, I'm, 
I, I, I'm, I wear shame like a crown sometimes. There is no shame in being broken because what happens when the broken is put back together is it glorifies God like nothing else. I think it's Spurgeon. He said the loudest voice in the room is the sinner set free. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit. God, you will not despise a broken and humbled heart. What's the opposite of humility? It's knowing better, right? Like I was talking about. And your good pleasure, cause Zion to prosper. Build the walls of Jerusalem. He's saying it goes from inside me to the area I live. This is what repentance looks like. It looks like an, an encounter with the living God that moves to the people around me and then to the city that I'm a part of. We, we want to see injustice righted, yes. But it begins with repentance. We're coming into the end of the year. I want to make a call to repentance, not, not from shame and guilt. I want to, I want, he's worthy. He's worthy, and he alone can take what, what weighs heavy on me. And so I want to close the year out declaring his goodness. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in righteous sacrifices, whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. What he's saying is, when that exchange happens, then our actions become righteous. It's because it's, it's, it's not of our own power. It's not of our own volition. Because what our own power and our own volition and our own thought processes do is they bear guilt because it's less than God. That's the end of that passage. I love Psalm 51. Because it reminds me so much of me. Reminds me of us. It is humanity. It's celebration that he's after. And I think sometimes we, um, I've been to a, a few funerals this year with more on the way. And I think sometimes we treat our or walks with Jesus like a funeral. In Philippians chapter 3, it says that I will press forward, I'll reach toward the upward call of Christ. And what that word call means, it's not a duty or something that I do in a church or something that I do in a ministry. It means I have an invitation to the seat of the table. That's literally the translation. So we can take off this mantle of self-importance. And pride, pride is, pride is what makes us call ourselves less than who he says that we are. It's the celebration he's after, but sometimes godly sorrow is the most effective invitation to the party. He redeems all things. We encounter all things that it would point to him. And I don't know what kind of pain you've been through, but I've been through pain in my own right. And it only points to him. Addiction, 
Yeah, buddy. It only points to him. I've lived it. So we can look at, look at David. David was part of the first temple after he, his son Solomon was responsible for building the temple. Jerusalem was torn down. And then there's Nehemiah, who I talked about. He said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We see the same thing play out throughout the word, and it's going to play out at the end, but it plays out in a grander fashion. God repeats himself over and over again only, but it's, it becomes grander as he does. So what Nehemiah, so David was one man representing Israel. Nehemiah brought all of Israel before the Lord, and he read the Torah before them, and it caused them to mourn because they realized that their ways were not God's ways. So how in Nehemiah, from chapter 8 to chapter 12, how did it go from mourning to celebration? And we like to carry that mourning around like it's ours. It went to celebration The call on my life, aside from having a seat at the table, (laughs) is to build altars. I build markers in my soul of the goodness of God so that I remember that in all things he is good and he is faithful. So Nehemiah came and he declared the goodness of God. They, They represented this repentance pattern. Jesus came as the word made flesh. So Torah personified was Jesus. I don't know if many of us know that. There was no New Testament when Jesus walked around. He was Torah. People encountered him and they mourned, but then they celebrated. And he will come again. That's the thing. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, he says, Behold, I make all things new. Our destiny isn't brokenness, and it's not failure. It's not ours to hang on to. Our destiny is restoration. The title of that psalm is called A Prayer for Restoration. I go back to what I was saying in John John chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking to the people he's speaking to. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. And that your joy may be full. My prayer this morning is that we encounter joy. A lot of us are here under obligation. That's okay. But joy waits for you. It waits for you. It's in this room. He is in this room. He is a restoring God. And if he comes for us, that, that means that we might know his joy even if we need to use what we give him as a cleaning agent. I wanted to paint that picture of the filthiness of what, how we used to, what we used to call clean and how that represents my justification of my own life. He is the water that was poured through after, after it was soaked in sewage. Water was poured through it and it rinsed, rinsed out and then it was thickened up. It was made stronger because of what it went through. It was beaten and encountered friction. Sounds like life, right? It was in sewage. But it made it last longer and it made it stronger. So 
when I'm, when I'm limping around like I don't have a leg to stand on, it means I'm not standing. I'm actually, I'm carrying. Can you hear the joy that he's calling us to? I know not for all of us in here, but I know for some of us there's something stirring in us, even if it's one of us. It calls us to joy. Like we in, in disciple the, the the pathway that we call discipleship here. Like we function primarily from this. There's this one tool we use. It's called the Kairos circle or the learning circle. And what that it's 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 based off of Mark chapter one verse fifteen. When Jesus received his identity verbally from the Father, which is what we we've all received our identity already. He came out in power and was sent into the wilderness in power. How many of us have been through the wilderness? How many of us know that we were sent in power and that we come out in power? That's not our own. But when he came back, he, de- he made this declaration. He said, the time has come. Kairos, that word time, it means a, 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 an appointment set aside for all eternity, for eternity. The time has come. The kingdom of heaven has drawn near. Repent and believe the good news. He wasn't saying you needed to be hard on yourself. He's saying, take joy. I've overcome the world is what he says. Repent and believe the good news. Can you hear the joy he's calling us to? I'd like to end on, we're, yeah, we're about at that time, but I, w- I want to end on Hebrews chapter 1, or I'm sorry, I was corrected, someone in here, I, it's chapter 3 in Hebrews, verse 15. The author says this, if today, if today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. A hard heart only comes from functioning from our own power. If today you hear his voice, harden not your heart. In other words, do something about it. So that's like, I want to point this to rekindle. I'm taking account of my life, and I'm going to only declare his goodness in spite of my mistakes, in spite of my sin and the death that I've encountered. He is only good. I, was, I spoke at a funeral on Friday for my aunt, and I saw this mourning happening all around me, and I was filled with such hope because he's greater than our mourning, and he uses our mourning to, to give us joy. The word says that he, takes my, he turns my sorrow to joy, my mourning to dancing. He takes my sackcloth and ashes and gives me a garment of praise. Does he not do these things? Let him. Let's pray. Jesus, God, you set everything aside for us to encounter you in this moment right now. It's available to every person on the planet. You. You say, declare shame dead. I declare guilt dead. But God, let it be turned to a sorrow that's compared to, to you, to your holiness, that it might, it might shed light on your mercy and cause joy, God. Joy that's strengthening. 
do something new in us, Jesus. You're doing it. Just give us eyes to see it. Let us rest, God, so that we can, we can set down the hardness of our heart. He said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give them rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God, I declare your yoke, your burden on this place this morning. We praise you. You alone who's worthy of praise, Jesus. That's in your name we ask these things and declare these things. Amen. Guys, have a great week. Happy New Year. Hopefully see you tomorrow night.